All right, you ready for this? Ready. And all the ships at sea. This is Tom Salemi. I'm editorial director at Device Talks. And this week on Device Talks Weekly, we're going to be talking about medtech at war. That's right. The medtech industry has been fighting its war against the pandemic COVID 19 for, well, for months now. But uh, it became more or less official this week when the Trump administration invoked the Defense Production Act, which is a Korean War era act that gives the federal government the ability, at least, to have a more direct hand in production of needed supplies, needed equipment in a war. And this is a war against COVID-19. I think we all feel a bit under siege. And the actions this week by the Trump administration, which were interesting, are largely well-received by the medtech industry, although it's unclear exactly what it means and and how the act will be used. But we'll talk with uh, executives from Hologic, executives from Florida, about uh, what the actions, what the the invocation of the DPA means for MedTech. But of course, we'll kick off this episode, a conversation with my pal, Chris Newmarker, Executive Editor of Life Sciences at Mass Device. Chris and I will uh, hit upon some actions that the MedTech industry has already taken in this battle against COVID-19. Chris, how's it going today? As well as could be expected, uh, you know, considering the fact we're all stuck in our homes. So we're all, we're all stuck in our homes, but we're also at war. Yes, we are. The music rumbling forward. The medtech industry has been enlisted, has already been committed to the war against COVID nineteen, and we, of course, don't want to make light of this. But the medtech sector is being brought front and center as states and hospitals and frankly, everybody demands more ventilators, more respirators, more supplies, more of everything that's needed to to battle this. And it's become kind of an issue on, I don't want to say the political scene, but if you've got the the Trump administration invoking the Defense Production Act on one hand, but also saying the governors are primarily responsible for securing these materials in the other. MedTech's kind of caught in the middle doing what they do. I'm I'm wondering what you're hearing from folks out there, uh, how they feel about being dragged into into this this I don't want to say debate because I don't want to politicize it but it's it's not a clean discussion and um, frankly medtech folks are just trying to do what they do which is create devices that save lives right and you know I, I think that the um, I mean it, it is it is kind of like okay like the Defense Production Act you know was invoked by the president that's a extraordinary action that goes back to the Korean War I mean basically saying that he could you know I mean he was saying when he invoked it that like oh you know we'll just in case we need it you know but um, I mean, it means he could tell the de- Department of Defense to go and order, say, you know, Medtronic to make you know, thousands of ventilators. And you have, you've got to make these now and everything else you're going to do. You've got to do that after because mm-hmm. th- this is the most important thing. Um, and yeah, you're, you're kind of like, um, it's kind of like the industry getting drafted uh, by the government. Um, so we'll, you know, I, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm not a, uh, I'm not an economist, but I know that you know, when the government starts ordering industries to do things and supply things that you can see uh, weird things happening with supply chains. So that's the complicated part, right? Because we don't know where where the interference will begin and where it will end or if it will come at all. And 
those are the questions that, that I, I'm hearing from folks as to, look, we're already leaning into this effort. I mean, you you can talk a bit about the the ventilator article you had this week on Mass Device. Uh, the companies are, are stepping up and increasing their productions. What are, what are we seeing there? I mean, you you have even things as extraordinary as like the you know, like General Motors saying like, well, if you want to use our shuttered auto plants right now to make ventilators, um, Elon Musk is getting in on the act. You know, it's like, oh, maybe we can make some ventilators over at Tesla. But, uh, you know, probably, probably the more realistic thing right now is like Medtronic saying that they're going to be, uh, you know, doubling ventilator production. So there we go. We're getting some more ventilators out. I mean, it's it's extremely important. Um, I mean, you know, I've been I've seen media reports of like their doctors right now in Italy that are making life and death decisions because they don't have enough ventilators for seriously ill people. And, um, you know, it's, it's not hard to think that, you know, we're going to be getting into that same situation very soon in this country as well. So we need those ventilators and, you know, we need those uh, respiratory masks because it's going to be very hard for health providers to take care of us if they're worried about getting sick as well. So can I, can I say something maybe a little more optimistic? Yes, Why please. Not? I, mean, I think we all want to hear that. Like a downer. I'm just like, it's just been, uh, it's just too like, you know, I mean, I, you know, one of our, our predecessors, you know, Brian Johnson, who, you know, founded, you know, co-founded uh, Device Talks, a mass device. You know, he's a mass medic president now. And he was uh, a few days ago putting something out on LinkedIn. I saw where he was, uh, you know, comparing the situation for the industry to Dunkirk. You know, he was saying like, like anybody has got a, you know, med tech idea. This is your chance. You know, you're going to be like the British fishing boats heading over to Belgium. Like, get, get us your ideas. You know, like this is our, like the quote he said was, this is our Dunkirk. So, you know, I mean, maybe this is, maybe this is a real chance for like, we, we all talk, hear people talking the talk in the industry of like, Hey, we're here to help people. Well, this is, this is the time to really figure out how to help people get some expertise going to solve these problems. All right, well, let's take a quick break from my conversation with Chris to meet a fellow I came to know when I was organizing a respiratory innovation meeting. Jan DeBacher is the CEO of a company called Fluida. Fluida recently received FDA approval for its Broncolab, which is a very cool digital imaging diagnostic that measures the performance of the lung. I'll let Jan get into into the particulars. But Jan is an extremely thoughtful medtech executive. Uh, Even prior to COVID-19, he was very engaged in respiratory conditions, particularly those last year during the wildfires. He was uh, at the forefront of trying to provide help for firefighters. So came to know Jan. He has some really important perspectives on innovation and on bringing new technology into respiratory care. So let's listen. Well, Jan DeBacher, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to reconnect with you. You and I worked on a previous event and uh, you were always, uh, did such a nice job sort of pushing forth on the, the, the respiratory issues or the issues facing respiratory startups. I really appreciated having you involved in those events. So I wanted to get your, your take on, on where we are today. Before I ask you some questions about what's happening in the world today, I do want to introduce our listeners a bit to Fluida and to Broncolab, a, a new technology that just received uh, some an approval by the FDA. So if you could take a moment, introduce folks to uh, Fluida and what Broncolab does. Absolutely, my pleasure. So, um, within Fluida, we've developed um, image-based technology over the last couple of years. So, the technology is called functional respiratory imaging, and it essentially starts from high-resolution, low-dose CT scans. 
So the input into the, the software algorithm is the conventional CT scan that is available in any modern hospital worldwide these days. So what the algorithms do is they convert the CT scans into 3D geometries of the anatomical structures, whether it's airways, blood vessels, lobe volumes, fibrosis, emphysema. So you really quantify those elements very accurately. And in the next phase, you, you use methods from aerospace engineering, which is my background. So you use methods from aerospace engineering to simulate flows in those airways to add even an additional level of functionality to it. So the end result is a very accurate description of regional lung structure and regional lung function. And this means that you can actually, in a very sensitive way, understand how healthy or diseased the lung is for a particular patient. So that's the underlying technology. And Bronchlab is very much the online platform that allows physicians to upload their CT scans and after which they can look at the reports, they can look at uh, the regional data. And how, this is a technology, obviously, that would, would is in critical need today with all that's going on in the world with, with COVID-19. This is largely a respiratory disease. Uh, how are you sort of approaching this as a smaller company with this technology that can help diagnose patients, help monitor patients? How do you reach out and, and, and make sure that people know what you're able to do? No, I think it's a very relevant question, of course. And maybe to start off, to um, maybe set the scene a little bit why this is needed specifically for uh, indications like COVID-19. So the lung has a remarkable capability of compensating for disease that is present on a regional level. So you can actually have already a lot of disease in your lungs while the conventional endpoints actually say everything is still normal. So maybe you know that the conventional endpoint or the, the test in lung disease is called spirometry. So you mm -hmm. ask the patient to forcefully exhale into a machine. Um, and that is very much driven by these healthy zones. So the underlying disease is not always detected in an early stage. Now, if you look at what this virus does, so it uh, binds to the receptors in the lungs, so the ACE2 receptors, so your body then tries to fight the virus, and it tries to do that by creating inflammatory cells. Now, in a small percentage of the population, you'll have an overreaction of this um, production of these cells, which kind of floods the lung with these cells in a certain liquid. And of course, if the alveolar are being filled with liquid, it very much impairs the gas exchange. So these are the people that then are in need for mechanical ventilation. They end up in, in the ICU and so on. Mm -hmm. So it is very critical for these patients to be able to diagnose and detect this inflammatory process early on. And that's where a good regional description of how healthy or diseased the lung is, that becomes quite important. And that's what Broncolab offers. So what we're doing now is we're reaching out to the hospitals worldwide in Asia, in Europe, and the U.S., uh, asking them to send us these scans, which we'll actually analyze free of charge. Uh, if they send the scans and if they send the, um, the clinical data in how is this patient doing, is it a patient that stayed stable, is it a patient that rapidly declined, and then we are quite hopeful that with these baseline scans and FRI and AI, we can develop a predictive 
model to determine for an individual patient whether the patient would stay stable or whether the patient's at risk of ending up on a ventilator in the ICU. Because if you know this is a high-risk patient, you can start treating them earlier with less complex ventilators in a medium care or low care setting to very much prevent uh, the overuse of the healthcare system with a potential collapse as a consequence. How do you, we're, we're at a point where our hospitals are, are barely keeping up, if they're keeping up. Uh, how are you able to let them know about this technology that, that could, could help patients um, w- without disrupting their daily efforts, their hourly efforts, just to sort of keep ahead of the storm that's coming? Absolutely. So I think, um, first of all, yeah, maybe um, if you look at the respiratory space, it's it's a little bit of a pity that we didn't start the innovation sooner, but often you know there needs to be a, a big event in order to really start looking at innovation more seriously. And I think if there's any, if there ever was a big event, we're living it right now with all the mm. consequences. So the way we approach it, uh, what we, we ask from these hospitals is just to send the data that they have. So they don't need to do any additional um, things in a certain way, just the scans that they have. It's something that we, we can already work with. And we've seen from the, the Chinese approach that this is very much possible. They started using HRCT scans fairly early on in uh, the, the process. They had mobile units in the parking lot for screening of these patients. I think they did 200 patients per day, which is uh, quite a quite an accomplishment. So the data is out there. And that's the good news. The imaging data is out there. So it's all about analyzing it, using it now uh, with the newest technology, very much to prevent the next yeah, pandemic. And I think it's important to know that most likely this virus will return in a few months. So mm-hmm. the measures that we're taking now, they're good. They will slow down the infection rate, but also also slows down the rate of herd immunity. So mm-hmm. we will probably see a resurfacing of this virus. And I don't think we can shut down the world a second time in the period of six months. So we really need to tackle this and we need to tackle it now. So how do we do that? We, we, uh, yesterday, the, the president invoked the Defense Production Act uh, related to medical supplies, ventilators, respirators, and wherever else would this, this would go. We don't really have a lot of details on this yet. Uh, how do you view that action? I know, you, I know from the past that you're a very community-minded CEO. You've, you've set up a fund for firefighters during wildfires in California. You definitely see the medtech industry is as a, a force of good and something that can make a positive change as, as most people in the industry do if not all how does this action by the administration impact the medtech industry and more generally and in in fluida more uh, more specifically no i think it, i think it's a very positive move it's all hands on deck now and i think the way it could work is that um it will facilitate the introduction of new technology within a system that has been doing the same things for years and years and years. Especially looking at the respiratory space, we have been describing these diseases with symptoms, with spirometry, etc., which is always trailing the facts. Now, if you want to get ahead of an event, if you want to get ahead of a pandemic, you need to detect the true disease stage as early as possible. And that's what medical technology 
medical imaging, AI processing, etc. It's what it can do. So if you can see whether an individual patient would be at risk of becoming very problematic and requiring intensive care, there's something you can do about it. Just to give you an example, so if we know that the ARDS, so the acute respiratory distress syndrome, which is the influx of the inflammatory liquid, what we're doing now in in a later stage, we use mechanical ventilation to try to increase the pressure in the lungs to kind of push the liquid back to the other side of the membrane. Now, if we can do that in an earlier stage, you can probably do that with much less complicated machines like CPAP machines, for instance, that pretty much almost, I wouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people have because it's used Mm -hmm. for sleep apnea, snoring, and so on. So we can become much more creative with devices. We can also test potential uh, therapeutics much faster because we can see if it resolves the issue or not. And we can be much more proactive so that we don't get caught in this tidal wave of people that end up in the ICU. And that, that requires, of course, investment. That requires a vision. And that maybe most importantly requires a change in the mindsets of people that are uh, now seeing the, uh, the, the patients coming in. Excellent. Those are great thoughts, and uh, congratulations on the uh, on the FDA approval, and and thanks for all that uh, that you're doing to to bring this technology to market. It sounds like it's something we uh, we absolutely need. And thanks, of course, for joining us on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you so much. So, Chris Yandabacher says it plainly: we need to focus more attention on innovation, and we need new technologies and new answers in the respiratory space. No, exactly. Um, I mean, I, I know that, um, you know, I mean, like, hopefully we'll see like some innovation when it comes to, to ventilators. I mean, you know, you know, like as a result of, of this. So, I mean, even though this is horrible, I mean, you know, if you look historically when you have wars and crises, it's they, they also are times of great innovation because, you know, stuff just needs to be done. Um, you know, I know that, um, you know, I know that, uh, Siemens has been working to commercialize something, a device that actually filters, you know, like actually not filter, but it takes, you know, oxygenates blood, you know, from somebody and puts it back in them, you know, to, to be kind of like as an alternative ventilators. I wonder if, you know, who knows, maybe that technology could, um, you know, could end up taking off more because of, of this crisis, um, just because there's just a need for something to help people who are in respiratory distress. So, I mean, it'll be, um, these are definitely, um, what was it they said, the old, uh, the, the old Chinese curse was like, you know, living in interesting times. We're definitely living in uh, interesting times. I wonder where this is this is going. I know you're working on a, a list of ways that uh, COVID-19 is impacting medtech right now. And I feel like this list is probably going to change week to week. But what are some areas that we're seeing uh, directly impacted by uh, all that's going on in the world with COVID-19? Well, I mean, it's, it's just, uh, I mean, we're at least in when you're looking at the whole, the whole med tech space, I mean, you're kind of seeing this, this real companies is trying to like go on full throttle, trying to, to meet, you know, this supply that's just being like outstripped by the demand. Um, I mean, that's a, a big area right now, whether it's like ventilators or respiratory masks or, you know, or surgical masks or, or these tests. I mean, there's a shortage of tests and it's a big, it's a big problem. I mean, even here in, in Minnesota where I live, um, you know, the, the big, the big story I'm, I, I was seeing on the top of our, of the Star Tribune of Minneapolis earlier today was that like, well, we have so many 
COVID-19 cases confirmed in Minnesota, but you know, the state's saying it's, it's way higher. They just don't have the tests to, to, to find that out right now. And that, that's a problem if you're trying to combat a pandemic. You want to know how bad it really is. It's hard to tell people to you know, stay in their homes when you can't tell them how bad it really is. Um. And MedTech has answered the call. This week, Mass Device has reported on several companies that have received approval from the FDA. Many have received emergency use authorizations, EAUs, for diagnostic tests that can be used in the testing for COVID-19. In fact, we're going to talk with one of those companies. Hologic received approval earlier this week. And I spoke with Kevin Thornell. He's the Division President of Diagnostic Solutions at Hologic. We talked about that company's good news. All right. Well, Kevin Thornell, thanks for joining us on the podcast. No problem. Glad to be here. Kevin, these are uh, certainly interesting times for everyone. And in uh, medtech, I don't want to know, I don't want to say in particular, but uh, certainly there are some additional extra elements to it. Uh, there's a immediacy that uh, is new to the sector, even a sector like ours that is that focused on saving lives, but there's a lot of uh, pressure to come up with ways to to battle what's going on. So I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about your your, your news of this week, uh, the FDA approval for your diagnostic test. Can you kind of walk us through a bit of what the technology is that Hologic has out there that uh, the FDA sees as a potential tool in this uh, fight against COVID-19? Sure, no problem, Tom. I appreciate the question. I'm glad to be here. So this is what we do at uh, Hologic. Um, We have a diagnostics division that's out in San Diego, and this is what we do day in and day out. We create tests that find uh, viruses or uh, any type of diseases or infections inside the body, and then we get that information back to healthcare providers so they can make a decision on what to do next. So really, it all started back in the late December when we all started hearing news coming out of China, and we started to, to do some exploratory research with our scientists here. We have a lot of PhD microbiologists, scientists that work here, and a lot of people that, that are still here from back in 2016 when you'll recall the Zika outbreak occurred. The same group of scientists were involved in that, were involved with this as well. And on January the 8th, uh, the Chinese government finally posted what the genetic sequence of the virus was. And once we received that, we were off to the races and able to start developing the test uh, for this virus. Um, we got a call pretty recent, pretty quickly after that from BARDA, which is part of the HHS, and also started talking with FDA around how could we bring a test to market really quickly, as soon as possible, and something that would be great for the machines that we already have posted and installed across the world and the United States specifically. And so we jumped on it really quickly. The, the assay design, the test design was pretty quick. Uh, and then since then, we've been working on all of our validated processes. What we have is a, a, a piece of equipment called the Panther Fusion. And with that, it's installed at a, a close to 100 different locations around the U.S. Some locations have more than one. Um, and what this test allows us to do is to put through 1,150 samples every 24 hours. And um, that's a high throughput device and it can be run in a small hospital all the way up to some of the largest reference labs. We have some uh, Department of Defense uh, areas coming online as well and public health. And what this allows a technologist or a lab to do is just load the samples in one side of the machine and three 
three hours later, the results come back. Easy to use, scalable, you could do one a day or 1150 a day. So we started working with the government um, all through that time in January and February and with the FDA, and we submitted on Saturday afternoon, and by Monday uh, mid-morning, uh, we started to realize that we're going to get approval for what's called EUA, Emergency Use Authorization. And then that's mm -hmm. what we received yesterday. So now we are working hard in operations to get up to that scalable uh, amount of 600,000 tests uh, for the month of April. So you, you filed on, on Saturday. Did you anticipate that you would get a, a, a reply this week? What was, the, what was the, the conversation like with the FDA beforehand? You must have uh, talked with them, sort of had an idea, uh, prepared the path, sort of had an idea what was going to come forth when you applied on Saturday, or, or did things just come together that quickly? No, we've been in close connection with uh, governing bodies uh, across the world, but in particular, FDA and BARDA have been very helpful through this entire process. Uh, regardless of what, what you may hear uh, or see on the news or what have you, they have been outstanding this entire time, has given, have given us the direction and everything that we've needed to be able to complete our work. One of the things that's really critical about uh, or imp that's great about our system is that it is 100% reproducible no matter where in the world it's placed. So it's not like a chemist sitting in a lab taking uh, uh, chemicals from one little place to another to do a manual test. Uh, and so that was the work that we've been completed uh, that's been completed in the last couple of months. Um, so, yes, along the way, we've been talking to FDA. They understood what our test design was going to be. They knew about the time that our testing and our uh, validation and verification would be complete. And so when we gave them the um, submission on, on Saturday, they were ready to review it. They worked all weekend, asked questions back and forth with our uh, regulatory team. And so uh, it was not surprising for us to get such a quick turnaround, given the public health need, as well as how great we've been working as partnerships uh, uh, just along the way over the last two months. So what's next? How, how do you now ramp up and, and get these tests out into the market? And what, what sort of... Uh uh, uh, production are you looking at in terms of units available, tests available, what we'll be seeing out in the field in a couple of weeks? Yes, we've been doing about uh, tens of thousands tests between now and the end of March. Uh, we had a couple of sites running on what's called research use only material. And so we've actually been running for a couple of weeks prior to approval. And then in the month of April is when we're going to ramp up to 600,000 tests. And then we have additional investments that have been made to get well beyond that as well. And are you coordinating with uh, your customers who currently already have the system and also trying to fit new customers who, who want to bring that in? Yeah, exactly. You know, we, we need to be careful that we're not over-promising and under-delivering here, and we need to make sure that we have very clear conversations with our customers to, to assure them a timing of when they can bring a test on board. So we do have uh, some very large customers as well as areas across the country that are hotspots currently today. And then most importantly is our government in ensuring that we take care of our armed forces that are stationed across the world, that they have access to the test as well. So we've been working very closely hand-in-hand -hand with the government. And so we will bring on new sites, depending upon how this virus um, reacts and, and how long we're, we're able to, 
to sort of, um, you know, how long this virus is going to be out into the public sector right now. And no one knows that. And so we're preparing for the long haul and, and we're going to be prepared if this thing keeps going into the fall flu season. Um, and so once we get up even beyond the capacity we're talking about today, we'll continue to bring on new sites and new hospitals, public health labs uh, along the way. Great. And final question. I'm talking to you on Wednesday. Uh, the news of the day was um, the, the federal government's plan for dealing what's coming next. And it's been brought up about the invocation, perhaps, or po- potential invocation of the Defense Production Act. I'm just curious, as, as someone in the medtech industry, how are you feeling about the, the role that medtech is playing in, in battling COVID-19 going forward? And do you see a, a closer alignment with the government, a closer working relationship with the government as being, what kind of impact does that have on, on our sector? Sure. I can only talk from, from my experience being in healthcare for um, almost two decades now. You know, it, this is why we come to work in the sector that we work in. Being part of MedTech is we want to do more than just make widgets and sell widgets. We want to give back to people and humanity and ensure that we can create devices and diagnostics tests or whatever part of healthcare we're in. We do it for a bigger mission than just um, producing products and making money. And these opportunities, our scientists say, this is why we were put on this earth is to respond to health crisis just like this. So I, I would expect that my colleagues across other med tech sectors and other companies would have the same feeling that our employee base feels right now, which is just extreme pride. Uh, and they're just so excited that they're able to do something for the better good of humanity across the globe. Excellent. Well said. Well, Kevin Thornall, thanks for joining us on the podcast and I uh, hope to have you on again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me again, Tom. So, Chris, we have the uh, the Defense Production Act in play now. We're not clear exactly how it will be used or if it will be used and what the impact may be, not only in medtech companies, but also on their, uh, their supply lines. I mean, there's some questions as to whether or not it'll be used or in, in deployed to you know, change the, the, the sourcing for, for manufacturing yeah. and for, for medtech products. It could go in a lot of different ways. So uh, these are, again, interesting times to be covering the medtech industry. I mean, I I think it's going to be, what I'd like to see is like, how are things going to shake out in a few weeks? I mean, for now, right now, we've got everybody in this lockdown, hard to tell when it's going to end. You know, when we finally emerge from this, you know, where are we going to be then? I think it's really going to be at that moment. I mean, it reminds me of uh, like that, you know, during World War II, after the Battle of Al Alamein, like Churchill said, like, this isn't the end. This isn't the beginning of the end. Perhaps this is the end of the beginning. And I think when we're through with this initial lockdown, or not lockdown yet, but I mean, like everybody having to stay at home, this, these weeks of, you know, the system trying to catch up and battle this thing. I mean, it'll, it'll really feel like the end of the beginning. We'll, we'll know where we're going to be going then for the next uh, year and a half with us. Just hopeful that we we emerge from from this like feeling like we're on a trajectory to kind of like win this win this fight against this virus. All right. Well, anytime you can end a podcast with Winston Churchill, you should do that. So let's wrap it up right there. Hope you'll join us next week for uh, Device Talks Weekly. This is Tom Salemi. I'm editorial director of Device Talks. I can be reached if you want to comment on this podcast or anything medtech related. You can email me directly. I'd love to hear from you. It's T Salemi. That's T S A L. E-M-I at WTWHmedia.com. And I'm also on Twitter and LinkedIn. On Twitter, I am at MedTechTom. 
Chris, why don't you share your information? Yeah, I'm Chris Newmarker, Executive Editor of Life Sciences here at WTWH Media. Um, me too. Happy to talk always. Uh, see Newmarker, just like a Newmarker at WTWHmedia.com. And you can uh, interact with me too on Twitter at Newmarker. Please share this podcast with your friends in MedTech. Share it on LinkedIn. Share it on Twitter. If you do that, you can tag Chris and myself. We'd love to be part of that conversation. And subscribe if you can. Just uh, push the subscribe button on whatever podcast player you're listening to, and you'll get this podcast delivered to your listening device every single time. And uh, finally, tune in next week. We hope you all stay safe and uh, work hard, and we look forward to uh, covering the issues affecting medtech and COVID-19 going forward. Stay safe. Talk again soon. 